Today's episode asks the question, who killed Laura Palmer, without, of course, answering it yet. This is spoiler-free, and we're only on episode three of the series. Uh, well, second episode, if you count the pilot as zero, but that's another story. So continuing this coverage of uh, season one, episode three, we're going to look at the clues that this episode gives us in terms of that mystery. And this is an unusual, especially compared to the uh, last time, an unusual episode in that the clues are very mystical and dream-oriented. They come from games and uh, from strange, surreal nighttime visions or dreams or whatever you want to call it. So let's get right into that. Uh, before we do, just want to mention, make sure you check out yesterday's episode. If you kind of skip around, sometimes don't listen to the first ones uh, of a given uh, week on an episode. This one, I think, is key because I talk a lot about the alternative ending and the history of that. So maybe you're already familiar with that. But if you're not, I think uh, Deep Dive is really fascinating how this uh, dream sequence in this episode came about and how it actually originated in an alternate ending to the pilot and uh, found its new purpose. So let's dig into that and all the other qualities here. And then afterwards, we will talk about the structure of this episode, how the narrative actually unfolds dramatically over the course of a 48 minutes or so. Who killed Laura Palmer? Okay. Surprisingly, there's not much on that in this episode. Here are the new clues we get about the murder and the surrounding incidents from that night. From Renette's parents, or possibly her employers, uh, we get the fact that Renette quit her job at the perfume counter, and so she presumably wasn't there after school. Uh, did this have to do with Laura's death somehow? You know, we know both of them were out in the woods that night. Uh, what did the fact that she didn't go to work have to have to do with that? Why was she lying to her parents about it? This is known to investigators because it's something that Hawk tells Cooper over the phone, but the odd thing about it is we don't actually hear her parents say that in the previous episode. I wonder if this was some kind of screw-up that they were supposed to say that because they just say, um, you know, she was working at the perfume counter. We assume she probably went to work or something. And uh, they never say anything to Hawk to indicate she quit the job. And then he walks off to follow the one-armed man. So I don't know, maybe how did he find that out? <laughs> but anyways, now it's canon, I guess. So Renette quit her job before, uh, before her that day. From the bottle game, uh, we learned, and this is known to investigators, we learned that Jay was probably Leo Johnson. We see that Jacoby's bottle fell off but didn't break, so there's something going on with him, but I guess he wasn't the Jay she was meeting that night. James, Josie, and Norma are unlikely, according to the rules of the game, because the rock doesn't actually land anywhere near the bottle. Johnny and especially Shelly are very unlikely, because the rock goes wildly off course. In one case, it hits Andy in the head. And we also find out that uh, Jack with one eye is something to check out, but he doesn't, Cooper apparently doesn't think it's the J. Uh, he tells Lucy to cross it off the list, and he doesn't even throw a rock to find out about uh, Jack, uh, Jack with one eye. From the woods, you know, from the crime, extended crime scene, I guess, uh, this is known to investigators thanks to Hawk, we find out that there's a bloody towel a half mile down the tracks from the crime scene. So one more piece of physical evidence. From the dream, maybe because who knows how this relates, but Cooper seems to think it relates to the murder because he wakes up and says, I know who killed Laura Palmer. Here's everything we hear that could somehow relate to Laura's murder. Mike says, through the darkness of future past, the magician longs to see. One chance out between two worlds, fire, 
walk with me. We lived among the people. I think you say convenience store. We lived above it. I mean it like it is, like it sounds. I, too, have been touched by the devilish one, tattooed on the left shoulder. But when I saw the face of God, I was changed. I took the entire arm off. My name is Mike. His name is Bob. And then Bob says, Mike, Mike, can you hear me? Catch you with my death bag. You may think I've gone insane, but I promise I will kill again. And the man from another place uh, vibrates in a corner and claps his hands and says, let's rock. He rubs his hands together. A bird shape flies across the curtains. And he says, I've got good news. That gum you like is going to come back in style. She's my cousin, but doesn't she look almost exactly like Laura Palmer? She's filled with secrets. Where we're from, the birds sing a pretty song, and there's always music in the air. And then he dances. From Laura, we see her touching her nose, and she says, I feel like I knew her, but sometimes my arms bend back. And then she stands up, walks over, and kisses Cooper and whispers in his ear. And somehow, from all of this action and dialogue, Cooper says he knows who killed Laura Palmer, but it can wait till morning. Make of all that what you will, but seems like we got to include it here because he wants to. Here are the new clues about Laura's life leading up to her death. Again, they're kind of vague and diffuse. But from Ben, known to us, we hear there's a new girl freshly scented from the perfume counter. So that means that there's a link between Renette, where Renette worked and this bordello that they're going to, and that Ben is both the owner of the first and a customer of the second. So something's going on there. Still don't know what that has to do with Laura, but given that Renette's fate is so closely tied to hers, it's definitely something we should take aware of, uh, be aware of in, in you know relation to Laura. From Audrey, known to Donna, we hear that Ben used to sing to Laura and that Audrey wonders if Laura ever talked about him. And something, uh, there's, there's a few details that are already known to us uh, in the audience from the show, but they're introduced to new characters. Jerry finds out that Laura died when Ben tells him Leland's daughter was murdered. And Mike and Bobby tell Leo that Laura had the 10,000. So that's pretty much it for our new information about Laura. Not much to go on this episode. For, let's take a look at the separate parts of the mystery of subplots, just kind of see where we are with that. With Bobby, there's no forward momentum on his beef with James at all. Uh, now he seems more upset with Leo, but even that's more due to Shelley. His only comment on Laura is, tell me about it, when Leo says she was a wild girl. For Renette, we find out she was apparently lying to her parents about work and that the job has linked one-eyed jacks, but again, her connection to Laura, same as it's ever been, unclear, other than uh, the one picture in Flesh World. So if she was connected to one-eyed jacks, I guess, you know, we're getting these tenuous threads here, but... It's very, it's very vague. For the crime scene, we find out there's a towel down the tracks from the train car, so the crime scene's more expansive than we originally thought, but there's not really much to go on or much of really an idea why they even thought this was necessary to show in this episode yet. For the serial killer, there's no new information, but with Albert's arrival, maybe new connections will be established. And of course, I should note here that based on the dream where Mike and Bob are talking about being partners in crime and killing people and this and that is that some sort of indication that bob and mike were the serial killers or that just bob is and that mike was um you know it's worth mentioning in the alternate ending of course bob is the killer of laura and mike is the um is his former partner so even though that's sort of vague in this dream sequence 
it's still something the show wants us to know within the context of the dream. What implication that has for the serial killer in reality? We got nothing to go on now. For the James part, a subplot of the mystery, we see how much he needs a tender sense of romance in his scene with Donna, how that's just something he apparently craves to the point where he jumps to it right after his former girlfriend's dead. And it's interesting that both of them think it would have turned out this way anyways. Donna says, because of Laura, I couldn't say anything. I couldn't even let myself think it. So even though we seem to be shifting away from James as a suspect, this does give us fodder to think, uh, could Laura's death in the fact that Laura's death facilitated this relationship that both of them wanted, did they feel like they needed her out of the way? Did one of them feel like they needed her out of the way to get with the other one? Uh, it doesn't seem like they would have communicated on it before, but, you know, so that's something that's sort of hovering there, but uh, doesn't certainly doesn't seem to be the emphasis of that scene. For the Leo part of the Laura mystery, he says, uh, when Bobby says, tell me, you know, he says, Laura was a wild girl. Bobby says, tell me about it. Leo says, maybe someday I will, which is a little ominous. And the bottle also breaks on his name when uh, Cooper's tossing the rocks at the bottle. Leo's the first one where it breaks. For the charity subplot, uh, Audrey reiterates Laura's assistance of Johnny and expresses uh, respect for that. Pete won't talk about why Cooper talked to Josie. I don't think there's any reason for that. He just doesn't like to give Catherine information about Josie, I guess. Uh, so we're getting, like, very oblique references to it. It's not playing much of a role in this episode. The mystery man subplot, nothing new except the question of, is, is he Jay? There's so much emphasis on who Jay was in Laura's diary, the person she was going to meet that night. And considering that Jacoby, you know, the tape to Jacoby says... Uh, that mystery man I was telling you about and all of that, and it's the thing she recorded the day she died. There's definitely a strong suggestion that they're related, but what do we really learn about Jay this episode? We learn probably is Leo, at least if Coop's Tibet method is, is to be believed, uh, but there's also a masked man in the woods watching Mike and Bobby sort of standing behind Leo. Could that be the mystery man? So there's all sorts of possibilities going on there. For the Jacoby part of the subplot, uh, the bottle does fall over on his name, doesn't break, so we're still kind of meant to keep an eye on him, I think, even though he may not be this particular Jay. And of course, also, we don't know that Jay is the killer. We just know Jay was someone she was going to meet that night. A new uh, sort of mystery subplot, part of the mystery that stands on its own, is, is Ben. He would sing to Lara, but there's no indication of anything sinister there. Uh, however, given that he was Renette's boss and possibly her John, if she was part of the perf perfume counter pipeline, a little bit, little bit ominous. Another new subplot is uh, Cooper's dream. That can sort of stand as its own new thread as part of the mystery. Uh, either Cooper has an intuition or a message from elsewhere of who killed Lara. And as for the rest, like I said, nothing really to connect it up with yet. So let's gather these clues and touch base with the big picture that's been established now over three episodes. So here, we don't learn much of anything new about Laura after this episode, in sharp contrast to the previous ones. Even when one character, Cooper, apparently discovers the most important knowledge of all, we aren't privy to it with him. 
The only new information we can say we know is that Ben had some kind of connection to Laura. In short, Laura was a publicly generous and privately troubled young woman embedded in crime networks who may have had a violent encounter with Leo the day she died, and the victim of a possibly occultist serial killer who may be her mystery man and who may have wanted something besides death from her. So the same thing we knew last week. The structure of this episode. Uh, the structure is also unusual. Unlike the first two episodes, episode two starts at night, picking up more or less exactly where the other one ended. It must be not long after Audrey's confrontation with her dad as she's wearing the same blouse. We only enter the next day, 17 minutes into the episode, and then in the end we return to nightfall again. Despite all the darkness, strong light sources, even very isolated ones like the flashlight in the woods, keep things from feeling too gloomy. Fires, lamps, and luminescent dreamscapes play their part, but we've already been over the feel of the episode, so let's stay on the structure. It's worth mentioning uh, the feel again simply because the cohesion of Lynch's style and the night-day-night book ending actually distracts us from the looseness of the script. Unlike the pilot in episode one, which develop a certain coherent pattern to the narrative, episode two is much more all over the place in its focus, rotating through many different storylines without really organizing a particular through line. It's also interesting to note that the final version of the episode switches several scenes that were supposed to take place on the first or second night. You can see this, for example, when Catherine says Cooper visited today even though the timing of that scene would suggest she should say yesterday. Additionally, Bobby's promise to defend Shelley from Leo was supposed to take place before his frightening nighttime meeting with Leo, uh, maybe to heighten the irony, but apparently the scenes just flowed better this way, so that's how we get it. Cooper's dream, of course, also gives the episode a sense of destination, retroactively making sense of why so much unfolds at night, and it turns lines like Audrey saying, isn't it so dreamy, or Harry saying, this really came to you in a dream, into potent teasers of how the episode's going to end. The commercial breaks are pushed back quite a bit this time. The first doesn't appear until 17 minutes in, fading down as Bobby and Mike drive off into the night, and fading back up with our first sunlit shot as a grease-drenched Ed tries to open his, his own door. So they wanted, for whatever reason, Lynch wanted to present that entire nighttime sequence as one unit. The second commercial break arrives at 31 minutes. Uh, it's between Audrey's long dance and Harry showing Cooper the bloody towel in the sheriff's station. And the third break uh, appears at 40 minutes in as Leland cries over Laura's picture. We fade down. We resume with Cooper laying down to bed. So the dream will overtake the entire final stretch of the episode. The previously on recap that we get uh, on this episode, I don't remember if there was one before episode one. If there was, I'll retroactively add it to the episode. But on this one, we definitely see a previously on clip show. It highlights James and Donna having dinner, Cooper on the phone with Albert, Hawk seeing the one-armed man, and Bobby and Mike uh, talking about drugs, and Leo hitting Shelley. So they're kind of preparing us for the things that are going to be in this episode that if we missed it or didn't remember uh, would just seem confusing without that context in this episode the murder is the number one storyline for the first time actually usually it's uh, up until this episode it's been laura's relationship to james which could play into the murder but uh, you know it's still a distinct element something in her life in the days and weeks and months beforehand that was uh, just featuring into more scenes than any other storyline in the pilot in episode one, but 
now here we are and it's her actual murder the circumstances of her death the suspects who could have killed her this this jay in the diary in particular i think is the element that uh, derives it so seven scenes devoted to laura's murder in this episode the only storyline that comes close is the one-eyed jacks this new immersion of this location and the horn brothers connection to it and so forth and and cooper getting clues from audrey that there's something uh, jack with one eye and so and all of that that's it for this episode tomorrow the scenes uh, of the laura storyline so all the scenes in the episode that have to do with her and uh, picking those apart and, and uh, you know, living in those moments, which there's a lot of great moments in this episode, given Lynch's direction. He just really luxuriates with some of these characters. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Best way to get it promoted. Also, you can become a patron on patreon.com slash lostinthemovies. See you tomorrow.